What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. I'm your host, Mike Yarrick. It's a wonderful day outside, I think. I should probably go outside before I say that, but it's probably nice outside uh, wherever you are, too. Uh, Tess, how are you doing? I am tired. We were just talking about this before we started recording, but I am just... It's been a week, and it is not super nice outside here in oh. Gainesville. Um, I have not seen the sun at all today, so it's oh. definitely not helping anything. Yeah, I was absolutely wrong. I'm speaking from Ohio. It's nice. It's nice in Cincinnati. So uh, there you go. Yeah, Elliot, how's it going? Um, I'm also tired, but I'm doing well. I'm doing good. Very busy, which is always a good thing. At least yeah. for me, it is. Yeah. And Vendela from the earliest time of the day, how are you doing? Yeah, you guys are time traveling ahead of me. I'm only 9 a.m. here, but I'm doing well. I'm also tired, um, but that's because I just woke up. So we'll see. Tired is the theme of the day, but we've got enough energy. I, I believe it, especially when we talk about kings killing people. But we'll get there. Uh, Elliot, do you want to open us up in prayer before we get rolling? Sure thing. Dear Lord, please uh, bless our time today as we look through um, our scripture and discuss amongst each other. Help um, everything that we say, do, and talk about uh, be pleasing to you. Amen. All right. And Vendela, you're up first in the hot seat. You ready to go? Yes, I am. I have my notes right here. Take it away. <laughs> So the first portion of my scripture, um, there was a line in it that I read and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the ideal man. Like if I ever have a man that says something like this to me, then like we're married, like we're good. And it was that <laughs> it was um, for you are my joy and the crown I received for my work. And I was like, honestly, if anybody said that to me, like literally just my presence alone is the fact that like brings you joy. I was like, oh my gosh. So I don't know. That just really stuck out to me. I thought I would mention that because I was like, it's just such an interesting thing to think about that your presence alone is something that brings someone, anyone joy, whether that be like God or like a close relationship of yours. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, honestly, yeah, like anybody that I'm like really close with that I like some of my best friends or like, especially like my family, the kinds of people that you can just hang out with and be like, like let all your guards down and you have no like social anxiety or like sort of like trying to be a little bit of a different version of yourself you're just that basic form of you and like that's all you have to be and they just take you for that I just really that stuck out to me because as somebody struggles with social anxiety I was like oh my gosh and then the second thing that I read that kind of stuck out to me was it's that song that's like all right guys I'm gonna sing it it goes like don't worry about anything instead pray about everything I don't know and it was just like really funny because I remember singing that in like preschool because I went to small blessings um at my church and it's just all about like looking at the bright side and like sort of accepting all of the wonderful things that God has given you and 
I guess that's like really easy to do um, if things are going well, but it was sort of also like interesting because I was seeing the other side of it where people are like, this feels too easy or like, what if like literally something horrendous happens and like you just want me to look on the bright side. So it was just like, then I feel like I just fully accepted it for like what it was because I was in preschool and I was singing the song in a way cuter voice than that. Um, and it was fine, but, like, now I'm, like, okay, like, I see how, like, people struggle to accept this religion because, taken out of context, it's sort of, like, we'll just set everything aside, but, like, now I'm sort of, like, appreciating it for its full, like, breadth of, like, when you do focus on these bright sides, when you're, you know, looking at what is pure and lovely and admirable, you're better able to be exposed to God's peace. And that is something that is, like it said, um, it's excellent and worthy of praise. So I liked that a lot. I think that I have a new perspective on that now with my experiences um, that I had more in preschool. So yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about my scripture. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, it's funny that you, that you sang a bit of a song because when I looked at the scripture, the rejoice in the Lord always, I don't know if this is actually a song, but my mom would sing that one line, like on repeat, my entire childhood rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And she would just sing that over and over and over and over and over and over. And I hate it now, but, uh, that sentiment holds true, but, um, sorry, in reference to what, what you were saying, Vendela, I, it's so the moments in my life where I feel like God's presence is the strongest are always after a hike, like at the top of a mountain. Like, and I think the reason for that is because it's like, it almost feels impossible to remove yourself from, or it, it almost feels impossible to hold on to any of the worries and stressors when you're in this like big open vastness, like the bigness of God feels so present after a hike, like at the top of a mountain. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much much to add to that uh, other than like this is another one of those scriptures that I read impulsively so cynically where I'm like, yeah, must be nice. But uh, but yeah, it's not, I, I mean, it's it's also a challenge. Like you're saying, we got to like put ourselves in that mindset. So, yeah, thank you. The thing that sticks out to me the most is um, and really this has been like a verse that I've read like a lot in my childhood, like probably one of the like more substantial verses that I've read over and over again. It's kind of a daily thing. Don't, uh, this is verse six. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And that's like, that like rings true for me because I always, I'm just the type of person like, like, like when I go to sleep at night, I think, okay, what, what am I doing tomorrow? What do I have to do? Like, I don't go to sleep dreaming. I go to sleep thinking about the next day. <laughs> like that's just me. And I'll also like stress about things that have way off in the future and it'll just make the present, you know, so uh, not enjoyable sometimes. So that's something that I struggle with, but it's really, really um, comforting to read, you know, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So I feel like that's one thing that I've been trying to, you know, impose into my life a little bit more. I mean, don't worry about anything is a very uh, difficult statement to live by. I think we can all attest to. Um, worrying is like a human nature. We can't like change like worrying about something, but I think we can change about how we act towards the worry. And that's why it says, you know, pray about everything instead. So 
I try to focus on instead of, you know, worrying about something, praying about it, you know, asking the Lord about it. Um, that's just what stuck out to me about this verses. Uh, but I did like what you said, uh, Mike, about, you know, mom always said, uh, rejoice. My mom did the same exact thing, like literally all the time. So I completely resonate you with that. Uh, but yeah, that's what stuck out to me about this, ver- uh, about this, these verses for sure. Elliot, I'm going to say the same thing as you, but in very different words. I hate when people say, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry about anything. I don't know why, but that just, it really makes me so mad because I'm like, do you think I want to be doing this? Like, if I could, I would have stopped worrying about this a long time ago. Um, But I like that you called attention to that because what really stood out to me in this, um, like, set of verses is in verse 7, Um, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So that for me is like, not only all the things that I'm worrying about, but also the things that are yet to come that I can't worry about yet. Like everything that's happened in my past that I've made peace with, but maybe I'm still subconsciously kind of concerned about, like literally everything that I could possibly be anxious about, like the peace of God goes far and above all of that. Like it transcends what I am in this exact moment worried about but like goes far beyond that to bring peace to my life and like make me at least at some point at ease with all of that um and so I feel like that step is really important that like yes trying not to worry about things and trying to pray about things instead and just be like satisfied in the moment but also that understanding that the peace of God transcends all of our human understanding and will guard our hearts and minds. So I like what you said. And then like that next verse, I feel like takes it even a step further. Ah, thank you, Tess. What a good, what a good wrap up. Uh, yeah, I love that. Um, I will in fact worry about everything. Thank you. That's, that's just the, the response I'm now giving to everybody. Uh, all right, Elliot, you want to take us into old Testament? Yep. Uh, let me just get my, First up here. So we're going through Exodus 32, 1 through 14 was my text. This was talking about uh, the gold calf. Uh, This is in the Old Testament where uh, Moses is on top of the mountain talking to God, I believe. And, you know, the people of Egypt are down at the bottom of the mountain, kind of distracted, bored. Um, They don't really know what to do. And... For some reason, in a lot of the Old Testament, actually, when people are bored and don't know what to do and have no exact, you know, a specific leader that's holding their hand the entire time, they choose to follow a different god, a false god, or whatever that may be. And in this case, it's the gold calf. So they're talking about how um, they took the gold rings from the ears of all of the wives and sons and daughters and brought them to Aaron who then smelted them down and created a gold calf. Um, and then the people worshiped the gold calf, created, um, uh, you know, um, sacrifices to this uh, God and um, really praised it while Moses was on top of the mountain. And we see that the Lord said, uh, this is uh, verse nine. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. 
He said, uh, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. And it was quickly. <laughs> it was very quickly. Um, relatively quickly, at least. They're still in the desert at this time. They haven't made it to the promised land. And um, what's interesting about this to me is uh, the Lord says, verse 10, Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Um, so the Lord is obviously very angry, frustrated. Um, he does not like what is going on. And this is when the uh, Ten Commandments were created. Um, but what's the most interesting thing to me about this entire segment is uh, the fact that Moses tried to persuade the Lord into not uh, using his fierce anger to blaze against them and destroy them. Um, and he actually succeeds. Uh, it actually says in verse 11, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord is God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and then wiping them from the face of the earth? So a lot of very strong absolutes going on here. Uh, but And then in verse 14, it says, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So um, I think it's interesting that the Lord changed his mind. That's literally what it says, like word for word in the Bible. So the Lord changed his mind, um, which is interesting to me because I feel like a lot of times we think, um, you know, the Lord never, never changes his mind. Um, he's perfect, which he is perfect. He is perfect. And I think that it's almost interesting to me that it's perfect to sometimes think in different ways almost like when we're having conversations or stuff, you know, being like uh, devils at playing devil, devil's advocate, you know, talking about um, maybe a certain stance that, you know, some people don't really want to hear, which is pretty much every stance nowadays. But uh, regardless, it's all about looking at different angles of different things and um, sort of um, it's okay to make mistakes I mean, the Lord changed his mind, so I think it's okay for us to change our mind. So that was what stuck out to me about this entire verse. I love, um, Elliot, what you said about like devil's advocate and how that comes into play. Because, um, I mean, if Moses can take that perspective to God, like, and try to get God to see this from another angle and change his mind, then I think that gives us a lot of responsibility to do the same thing for people, especially in cases that we may not want to, like when someone has wronged us or has wronged a friend to be able to say, Hey, I know you're upset about this, but like, maybe look at it from this angle. Maybe you can kind of come to an understanding. Um, one thing that, Oh, can I find it? One thing that kind of stood out to me, at least in this in the translation that I have, is the like phrase stiff-necked people. Like I just thought that was a really funny way to say what I assume is just stubborn. Um, but <laughs> I don't know why. That just really caught my attention. Um, but yeah, I really liked what you said about being a devil's advocate and trying to adopt a new perspective. Yeah, so this this idea of God 
changing changing their mind is is something that me and my friends have talked a lot about because I do think it's one of the hardest things to like get behind if you've grown up in this sense of an infallible God that doesn't make mistakes. You're like, well, then there's no possible way that God would change their mind. But man, how how much does that speak into the relational aspect of God? Like, because I mean, I don't know, like who wants to be friends with somebody who's like not receptive of anything? Um, and I think to say that God changes their mind and, and even to just, even if we, even if there's an argument that says, oh, that was just used for a translation or whatever, like to have that language of God changing their mind speaks so much into um, the value that God puts in um, their relation, their relationship with us, right? It's not just a, a shut door, like this is a two-way street, which I think is very cool. Yeah, I think that the personal aspect of a relationship with God is something that's lost um, in a lot of mainstream Christianity, just because it is like, very perfection focused um and like when I was growing up that was like like you were saying Michael like it was very much like this perfect God can do no wrong like whatever and like I think that the fact that he changed his mind makes it sort of comforting that like it's not because I think a lot of people what pushes them away from Christianity is that they have no free will um you know like or like that idea of like not having free will that God has planned everything and like like stuff like that I think that this is sort of like interesting to me because it's like well he may have planned everything but like he can always change his mind and like you can always change your mind and like that's not something that's like forced upon you it's something that's given to you as like a gift that this is like like his peace and love and like his path for you is what's best for you and if you don't want it that's fine but like I think that I don't know. I think that that's sort of daunting. And this is a nice um, reminder that he still like wants a relationship with you and a relationship doesn't mean deciding what's best for you. And that's exactly what you must do when you're forced to do that thing. So I like that. Yeah. Now I'm sorry. Now I'm just to tag an extra now. Now I'm thinking of like, this is the, is this God in, in a modern society telling us like, Hey, to change, to like get the ego out of changing your mind. Like if somebody talks to you, like be receptive to, I know, I know Tess, you and Elliot also brought that up. I'm just like that, that just hit me now. Like I just caught up. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that's good. Well, and even Fendel, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, some like things that are going on in my life right now with my friends. And like in this passage, it feels like, Obviously, Moses is a big part of, you know, convincing God to change his mind. But in the end, like, God doesn't change his mind because whatever upset him, like, was resolved. It was just, he really did it for the people. Like, he did it so that he would not have to harm the people. And it's not, like, making him feel good, but he did it anyway. And so I'm kind of applying that to some of the struggles that I've been going through and, like, picking and choosing my battles almost. Like, which battles will actually make me feel better and get me what I need as far as like boundaries and respect and things like that. But also which battles should I just like leave because they're not going to do good to anybody and they're just going to harm those relationships. Um, so yeah, as you were talking, that was another piece that kind of came to my head was like changing your mind doesn't have to mean that like everything's all good and resolved. Sometimes it's just moving forward and dropping something that's not going to bring good to anybody. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you, guys. Uh, with that, we are going to take it to a break. See you soon. Welcome to Studio Wesley Cafe. My name is Cindy Buchanan, and I'm your host. What is Studio Wesley Cafe, and what is in that mug, you ask? Both great questions. Well, first and foremost, I'm drinking a coffee with oat milk, because that's my bet of choice. But more importantly, Studio Wesley Cafe is Studio Wesley's newest creation, where I and special guests am going to be talking about while the things you might talk to your friends about over coffee, we'll be talking about music and movies, art, social media, current events. Um, I guess some might say culture. And we're going to be talking about the ways that all those things intersect with our lives as people on a spiritual journey. Does that sound like something you might be interested in listening to? I hope so. Starting September 15th, every other Friday, a new episode will drop. So grab your Bev of choice, whether it be coffee, tea, water, because we all need to stay hydrated, and join us. And we're back, and we're going to keep it right on rolling, moving right into our Psalms text with Tess. Are you ready? I'm ready. Take it away. All right. So I have Psalms 106 verses 1 through 6, and then picking it back up with verses 19 through 21. Um, so reading this, I think there was like a point that I was supposed to get, and then I kind of chose to go instead in a different direction and look at something totally different. So the main point that I got out of these verses is um, they're talking about like being thankful to God for um, his mighty acts and also putting the responsibility back on humans to act justly and do what's right. And then talking about the reward that they get for doing that um, and sort of the like counter argument of that calls back to um, Eliot's text in Exodus about the golden calf Um but what I instead got out of this was a lot of imagery about community and like building community and how um, community is one of the best gifts that God gives us. So in verse five, um, it says that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. And then further on in verse 23, when it's talking about how Moses protects them, um, it said, so he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. And so verse five, like, enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. Um, that really called, at least in my mind, to like being thankful to people who have my back and are like willing to support me, whether that be calling someone else out on my behalf, whether that be calling me out for something that I did that needs to be acknowledged. Um, but I really liked that, like, enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. And then it continues on that I may share in the joy of your nation, like share in the joy of building community with other people. Um, so it's not just a like 
direct gifts being given to you from God, but it's like him showing gifts from and through other people. Um, and then the final line of verse five is join your inheritance in giving praise. So not only are we building this community, having people there to support us, um, coming together as one, but also joining together in worship and giving praise to God. Um, so just, I really loved that aspect of community. And then the other piece that I pulled from this text was, um, in verse three, the phrase act justly, which is really important to me because um, here in Gainesville at Gator Wesley, we have like a whole ministry called Act Justly that is focused on doing uh, social justice work in the community, showing up for um, like marginalized communities that have been historically harmed by the church. So like that's something near and dear to my heart, but also it calls back to, um, let's see if I can find it, Micah, Chapter six, verse eight of what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, which is sort of then like this cause and effect of in order to gain the community that God has um, like allocated for us and prepared us to form ourselves. This is what we have to do in order to do that. And I think that's really true in just a realistic sense of if you're not acting justly and you're not loving mercy and you're not walking humbly in relationship with the people around you, you're not going to be able to have that like joyful community that it talks about in the Psalms text. Yeah, I like, okay, so when I read this, it was very much me like, oh, cool, cool, like, okay, cool. But like, I didn't like think about like anything or like make any connections and it wasn't like I wasn't trying to I just like sometimes it just doesn't work for me like I'll like read something and I'll be like great so um awesome celebrate yes so I love that I got to listen to you make those connections because especially with like the chosen one um sort of like community oriented approach like I really like that because chosen one is such a big title like oh my gosh like and then when you're talking about oh like your community like who you choose to like surround yourself with and like your friends and like the family that you make kind of thing like that's definitely something that I really try to work on just because I do like divide my energy out very strategically and like I only have so much energy to give so I pick the people that I want to be close with like very intentionally and I think that I really enjoyed that community approach too and like rereading it because I was like reading it a little bit as you're talking too, like and making that connection. Um, it gives it a different meaning, like a different lens. So I liked that a lot. And then also um, acting justly. I really enjoyed that. I didn't know that Gator Wesley had a whole um, mission, I guess, orientation for that um, specific I guess, like, marginalized groups that are, have been, like, negatively affected by, like, more conservative church, so I really enjoyed listening to that, and also I think that it's extremely important because you're right, you can't have a congregation that's joyful if you're not acting justly, it, yeah, it goes to, like, like, I don't want to, like, bring it back to a place of cult, but, like, that's how, like, it gets to that point because people are no longer, like, loving each other and, like, wanting to support each other. And I think that's like something that is really important. So yeah, community didn't make that connection, but now I am. So thank you. <laughs>
Yeah, I love that connection as well. And I just want to go back to like what both of you are talking about, like the chosen one. Like me personally, I think that's not not that that he's the chosen one is crazy, but like, I mean, I try to like understand kind of the, I don't know if this is the right word, brevity of the text. Is that the right word? I hope so. Anyway, um, in like 23, so he did, wait, no, wait, that's not it. Oh, wait, yeah, that is it. So he declared he would destroy them, but Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the, and the people. Like, that's so crazy to me that he stepped, like, between the Lord and the people. Like, that's on some Anakin, I am your father type stuff. Like, bro, you know what I'm saying? Like, he stepped, like, right between both of them. So I'm just sitting here thinking, like, dang, that's crazy. Step between the people and God. He was the middleman, you know? Like, that's pretty crazy to me because, like, I always think, you know, God, the people, but he was like kind of the middleman. I mean, he was still a, p- a person, but it's like, so I almost thought like every day, like what if like we, like in our action, like this may be way stretching it and way deep, but I don't care because it's what I have to talk about. Like every day and every action, we like be the middleman for, for like God when we're talking and communicating with everyone else. And I think that's a way like how we can spread the word being like God's middleman like spreading the word to other people. But also in that we can't always be the middleman. Sometimes we also have to be the people. It, there's no, no one way we have to be, you know, we switch up like every day. So I, I think that that was um, something that I took away. Just the fact of the relationship between Moses and the Lord and the people and the dynamic of the relationship and the whole situation was really interesting to me. Yeah, Elliot, I don't think that's a stretch at all. I mean, I think, especially as we're talking about the community aspect, God wants us to be in community with each other. And and part of that is helping facilitate the other people in our community, their growth with God themselves. And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's great. Um, Also, I just have to throw in this, like we did a, my church did a whole sermon series on this, this like verse and we we sang that song that do you know that song Tess? if you're there's like literally a song that is just this passage that act justly love mercy while calmly that we like sang that every single week and it's so burned into my brain i'm like that's all i can hear sorry that's that's totally um a side note but it's just <laughs> the throw. annex episodes about old church songs <laughs> i know well this is like a new song this was like written like in the past oh. five years yeah so it's not like an old song, but it's definitely one that you're like, oh, my God, why is this stuck in my head at all times? Uh, anyways, um, a lot of this is applicable to my text, so I'm just going to jump right in with Matthew 22. Uh, here we go. Verses 1 through 14. So uh, as has been kind of the routine for all of this season so far, <laughs> Mike's going to give us the rundown of a parable that Jesus is telling. So uh, in this parable, the parable of the wedding banquet is what uh, we're calling this one. Um, a king prepares a banquet for his son, a wedding banquet. Um, he sends out his servants to invite all the people, kind of get that RSVP, save the date out, you know. Um, and they all say, nah, we're not coming. And then the king's like, well, try again. And this time, tell them how good the food's going to be. That'll make them want to come. And then they say, nah, again. And this time they're like, but also, haha, funny, we're going to like abuse and kill some of your servants. Um, that you sent out to tell us about the good food. And the king's like, all right, then uh, I'm going to murder you and burn your towns to the ground. 
And then the wedding is ready. And the king's like, well, nobody wanted to come that I wanted to invite. So go ahead and invite anybody and everyone you can. No stipulation, just good or bad. Send them all. Fill the hall for this wedding. It's got to be good. Um, so that happens. The wedding's full. And then there's like one guy in the wedding. And the king's like, you're not dressed nice enough. And he throws him out. And that's the whole parable. Yay, we love Bible stories. Uh, I will reiterate again that I think Jesus needs a PR team. Uh, these stories are wild. And <laughs> if if you told any of these stories as like a lesson or a parable in today's time, I'm like, oh. anyways. Um, so that's horrible. But I mean, I like looking at it as Jesus just being kind of a quirky guy, but whatever, uh, in the modern day. Okay, so a uh, couple things that I want to pull away from this. I think... The first thing that um, is abundantly clear to me is just um, this hint at the radical inclusivity of the love of Jesus. So this king, after the initial invites get rejected and everything, the king turns to invite anyone and everyone. Anyone you can find is good enough for this wedding. Um, and I do think there's there's a hint there saying like, yeah, in the kingdom of God, there is no discrimination. No, we're not discriminating on behavior. We're not discriminating on social class or past history. Worst of the worst, best of the best. Doesn't matter. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome into this wedding. I think the wedding imagery too just holds so much weight in the Bible um, in terms of our relationships with God, right? Um, neither here nor there. Um, and then going a step further with the piece of this story that really rubs me the, the most wrong on my first read, which is okay, now we have everybody in the hall. I get it. Cool. Then the king singles out this one guy and he's like, hey, you're, why aren't you dressed for a wedding? And the guy's like, he has nothing to say. And then the king like kicks him out. And the, the verse specifically says, uh, then, the, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that, that reads pretty like harsh to me. I'm like, you literally pulled this guy off the street and you're expecting all this, but stepping out of that for a second, it's after they have been invited into the fold that their actions are then asked to be spoken for, which I think we can relate back to this idea of Jesus. Again, radical in inclusivity, anyone's welcome in the presence of God. And then once you're in, once you've, I don't want to say in, cause you're always in, but once you've um, uh, responded to that sort of relationship, I think it's then that God calls for our actions to meet our words. Um, what's that one? The like once faith can be seen in, in the deeds that you have make. I forget whatever that quote is, but um, it's a call for Christians to have their actions meet their words. You know, it's not enough to just um, accept it. You also have to show it outwardly to other people. Again, this sort of idea of community support and everything. Um, so to go back to the piece that I'm wrestling with of this one guy being this guy being like, hey, you're not in wedding clothes. And I'm like, well, you pulled him in off the street. Why would he be in wedding wedding clothes? Um, I think the important piece of this puzzle, like in context wise for me, is maybe that um, there needs to be a willingness to prepare for that party. So it's not enough to just do these actions of um, like doing the right thing, dressing properly or <laughs> acting the right way the right way as a Christian or doing the right things. There has to be a willingness in our hearts to also want to do those things. So um, we don't get much of this guy in the verses, but the man was speechless. That's what this translation says. And I think um, 
my sort of way of engaging with that might be that um, there needs to be a willingness or an attempt to at least try to have this these good deeds that you then do as a Christian come from your heart. There has to be a connection between your heart and your actions in order for that to actually hold weight in the kingdom of God. I don't know. Still wrestling with that last part, but uh, that's where I'll leave it for now. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts. I am really impressed with how you tied all of that together because there for a little while I was like, I don't really know where he's going with this, but right now it's kind of pissing me off. But like, I feel like that's just this entire parable. Um, Cause the whole time that you were talking about like radical inclusivity and all are welcome, no matter your past. I'm like, but then he throws the man out and he like murders multiple groups of people in this one chapter. Like, I was like, I don't know where he's going with this, but it, it ended up good. Um, the whole, like, your words must, um, like, align with your actions. That's a really big part of, like, just my personal doctrine of, like, how do you live out, you know, your faith? And that's one thing that really sticks or stands strong for me is, like, you have to act the way that, like, you read about in the Bible, not murdering people, but, like, the good things that you read about and, like, the way that Jesus does. And that's how you, um, like, show your faith and how you also spread the word of God. Like, it's not going out and conquering nations. It's, like, just treating people like that. Um, so I really like that you said that. I just, I have to say it as a college kid, the whole, well, tell them there's food. And then they still didn't care. Like that, that does not happen in real life. If there is food, the people will come. So can we just, just uh, <laughs> I want to jump in and read the verse because I think it's funny. Um, tell those who I've invited that I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and the fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. <laughs> I just like, as you were talking about it, and as I'm reading this alongside you talking about it, all I can think about, I'm like, I just have to say that like, this is so wrong. This is so inaccurate. <laughs> like anything concerning free food, free t-shirts, free anything, like anyone will go. Um, maybe not back in these days, but um, so the thing that I kind of wanted call out here and I don't really know where like what end goal I'm hoping with this this just kind of sticks out and like rubs me the wrong way a little bit is I could so easily see someone kind of like where I thought you were going with this mic but I could so easily see someone pulling out um like verses nine to ten like just the so go out and invite anyone that you can find and they went and they gathered all the people the bad as well as the good and like all this and I can totally see someone taking this out of context and using it as support for like radical inclusivity but then you read like two verses later when he's throwing this guy out and not just throwing him out but like wanting him to cry on the streets like it's just so excessive and so that really bothers me because it happens so often not even just in the bible but like in parts of history too like random historical junkie fact but like the quotes that are inscribed on the jefferson memorial in dc like they show them as this one block of text but they're actually lines pulled from all of these different essays and speeches that he did and like when you look at them in their context they're terrible like he'll say one really great thing and then he'll go on in two lines later talking about his slaves and i'm like you gotta look at it all together and maybe it's not pretty and maybe it doesn't make as much sense as it does on its own but like you're not doing anyone any favors by pulling them out of context so 
yeah, I'm still struggling with that with this passage. Like, there's not a pretty little bow on it. But I just felt like I needed to say that, like, you you can't do that. You just can't. <laughs> it's not good. It doesn't help anybody out. Yeah, I was actually going to touch on historical context as well, because I'm actually learning about that in um, my, well, actually, okay, I learned about it in high school as well as some of my courses now, but I was having a conversation with some of my uncles about this because they um, we were kind of talking about how, like, there are Confederate uh, statues still in the South and, like, sort of, like, what we our opinions were on like what to do with them and I was like well historical context is so important because like yes these people were like great and they fought for like what they thought was their country what they thought was a good thing but like in the end it like really like wasn't great now that we have historical context and we're comparing it to nowadays we know it's not good but then it was like fully acceptable and fine and so it's like it doesn't make it fine then but it makes now like okay, let's look at their perspective. Let's see, like, what's happening here. And we need to, like, educate people on, like, why that's not good and why we shouldn't do things like that. And now we have this perspective. And I think that these stories, like you said, taken out of context are so weird. They're so weird. Like, they're so, like, every time I read Carol, I'm like, I don't even know what is happening here. And I think that, like, sort of assigning our own, like, current meanings to things um is helpful and also like comparing them to like what was normal then because I feel like killing then was so normalized like you had beef with somebody you just kill them problem solved and now that's not really a thing anymore so I think that like it's so important to just like remember that I guess but also there's a part of me I'm just working through this because there's a part of me that's like okay you should never kill anybody like like, period, like, no matter historical context, so it's just, like, so difficult, because you're trying to, like, piece these apart, and I think that the important thing is just finding that meaning um, for you, personally, and that's the most important part, but yeah, it's just, like, so much, these stories, so I I completely understand both of you guys, like, working through things, and, like, because I myself still am not fully understanding, but, like, I get where you're coming from, (laughs) Bendel, I'm gonna hop back in because like the whole historical context and you bringing up the confederate statues like I don't know why but like in high school I probably Hamilton actually that's probably why I have interest in this but in high school I went down this whole colonial American history phase um but something that a lot of people don't know about most confederate statues is if you look at when they were built they weren't built during the civil war they were built in like the early 1900s like years after reconstruction and all of this and not only that but if you look at like the zoning maps of where they were placed they were like specifically intentionally placed in like largely african american communities as just yeah, a show but- of power Yeah. And so it's like, you can look at historical context as in like, well, they were fighting for what they thought was right. And I hear people all the time talk about like generational, like they were just doing it to stay in alignment with their family. And I'm like, y'all, the Confederacy lasted what, like five years, like less than 10 years. There's no generations in that time. Like, so you can put it in context of what was going on at the time. Like, yes, slavery was normalized, like all of these things. But then you also have to just like hold people accountable because 
you know, in the early 1900s, that still wasn't historically correct, but people did it anyway. And even looking at that context, like now supporting that, like you can call it your family history, whatever, but you have to recontextualize that into like, okay, if this is your family history and you want to, you know, be proud of just fighting for what you believe in, cool, put it in a museum. Like it doesn't need to be the center of a town anymore. It doesn't need to be like what's I don't know. I'm going on a history rant here, and this is not what we were supposed to be talking yeah, about, but well, just recontextualizing it as in like acknowledging the historical context, but also reapplying it to today and like looking at what that means for not just you, but other people who also have to live with this symbol in their life. Yeah. My family's such like history buffs, so they were all like, we should keep it. And I was like, okay, but like, how? How should we keep it? That's the important thing. Like, how are we, how are we doing it? And I think that's like, kind of goes back to this too. Cause it's like, how are we interpreting this now? Like, cause you could interpret it one way we're saying like intense, like inclusivity and like, you're sort of like ignoring all the parts and it's like, okay, that's not like beneficial though. We could use this in a beneficial way where it's like teaching people things like in a museum or assigning a different meaning to a parable. So I think that's like so important, so valid. <laughs> okay loved what you guys were talking about absolutely love it just gonna pivot real quick and you're gonna have to stick with me because uh i thought of something a little crazy but y'all just gonna have to stick with me i'm just gonna read this a uh, little portion one more time so we can all just you know be familiar with it again uh this is verse 12 friend he asked how is it that you're here without wedding clothes but the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds pretty crazy to me. Now, when I was reading that at first, you know, I'm, I, I like think, think of different lyrics and different songs sometimes, how they relate to different things. And this could be a bit of a stretch, but I want y'all to stay with me. So there's a little baby song, uh, the verse of that song. When you're rich like this, you don't check the forecast every day. It's going to rain. All right. So in, you know, uh, in, in English, that means when you're, when you're rich like this, you know, you don't, you don't uh, check what's happening. Like every day, you're going to be like fly, like you're going to be dripping out. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. We y'all with me? Yes. Okay. Fantastic. So. What's funny to me, and this is just my brain, like I'm weird, but friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? Like, he didn't come with the right drip. He wasn't dripped up. Like, he wasn't ready for the occasion. Like, that's what I'm getting from this. And the, the analogy that I have uh, from the little baby song, like, when you're rich like this, you don't check the forecast every day, it's going to rain. When you're rich, like, in the Lord, right? Like, when you're like, when you have a good relationship, a good standing with the Lord, you don't check the circumstance, the, you know, you, going back to what we talked about earlier, you don't worry about the future, pray about the future. And then, you know, every day it's going to rain. For example, every day is going to be joyful. Every day is going to be happy. Every day is going to be wonderful. And I think, I don't think, uh, but this might be what is trying to say. 
he didn't come in the proper clothes. So maybe he didn't come with the proper mindset or the proper relationship with the Lord. There's a, there's like an old saying, which like, uh, it's not that old, but my dad used to tell me this all the time and my mom. We're like, if you don't practice your relationship with the Lord, it'll be more difficult to hear him. And that's something that like kind of resonates with me in big, long analogy. I know completely way out of what we were just talking about, but like, if you don't come with the right drip for the Lord, then like, you know, you're just not going to be, not going to be ready. So I think like, we all have to be, have a work every day to better your relationship with the Lord so that you can um, enjoy his blessings more. All I got to say, big stretch. Hope y'all loved it. I did. I did in fact, love it, Elliot. <laughs> loved it. Loved it a lot. Um, come with the drip for the Lord, y'all. That's that's a that's another line of merch that we need to get Derek on right now. If you don't come with the right drip for the Lord, yeah. <laughs> God, I love it so much. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I could have said that better myself, Elliot. That's awesome. Um, y'all, this has been great. This has been great. I think we should leave it there. Uh, well, leave it there with uh, Vanilla closing us in prayer first. Yeah, for sure. Um, hey God, thank you so much for us all being able to gather here despite being all over the United States. Um, please let some of the things that we spoke about today uh, help others illuminate, you know, anything that they've been feeling or, you know, thinking about maybe help them understand a really confusing parable or make them more confused, whatever works best for them, I suppose. But yeah, thank you so much for us being safe and healthy. And see you soon on the Annex again. Amen. Ah, this has been Studio Wesley Annex. Until next time, y'all.